from Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. Today, we are visiting with Brian and Jimmy Vagley from Vagley Farms of Monticello, Wisconsin. Today's episode marks the fourth and final episode of our four-part series, celebrating the dynasty in dairy established by World Dairy Expo's four founding fathers, who include Gene Nelson, Norman Magnuson, Alan Hetz, and Howard Vagley. Today's episode focuses on Howard Vagley and his many contributions to not only World Dairy Expo, but the dairy industry. To tell his story, we welcome his sons, Brian and Jimmy. Welcome to The Dairy Show. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lisa. We are excited to talk with you today. And like I said, this is the fourth installment. So anybody that's been following along knows that we've invited each of the family members of the four gentlemen that I just made mention of to throw out a word, a word that describes their father. And as I noted, Steve said that his dad, Gene Nelson, was committed. Norm noted that his dad, Norman Magnuson, was respected. And Roy and Rodney called Alan Hetz driven. So Jimmy and Brian, how would you describe Howard? You know, we talked a lot about that, Lisa, but, you know, to, to kind of try to figure out what we would think of Howard, we, we called him creative. And the reason we came up with creative is because uh, he was always thinking outside the box, whether it was a problem like this for World Dairy Expo or creative on new things that he was trying or creative even in writing music and things like that that he did. So he used a lot of creativity in his life. So the word we're using today is creative. Those four gentlemen definitely complimented one another and they appreciated one another. There's no way that you can accomplish what they did all those years ago, both personally and professionally without good chemistry. So Vagley Farms, let's talk about your dad's start in the business. He was not a first generation dairy farmer. As a matter of fact, the sign at your end of the driveway indicates something far different. Tell us about the start of the farm that you're still operating today. It's a pretty cool story too, and we're proud of the legacy that is being carried on even by Brian's son, Christopher. And now they just had a a child, so that'll make seven generations on the same property. But the farm was homesteaded in 1854 by Yost, and then there was the next in line was a Jake Vagley, and then another Jake Vagley, along with his brother Walter. And that's where, at that point, it became the prefix VB, which means Vagley Brothers. Howard took over after that, and then along came. Our two slackers, Brian and Jim, and hopefully it gets picked back up well with Chris. But it's it's a fun and long legacy that again we are very proud of. It's it's very unique and it's not been easy, but it's worth it. In all things, World Dairy Expo in the fifty-five plus years now that the show's taken place, there's been an evolution to keep the show fresh and relevant. The same can be said about Vagley Farms in Monticello. Tell us about what the herd looked like in nineteen sixty-five when your dad and your mom, Alice, were operating the farm and your dad was kicking around this idea of starting a show that would take place in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, back then, obviously, our grandpa Jake was very active in the farm. You know, Jake showed for a number of years and 
all the rail car stories about going to numerous places and and what's pretty unique is that uh, we still have the majority of those banners from the shows from the 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s and and every once in a while when we have a special thing happening in our barn, we put up the banners commemorating what they had done. But in the mid-60s, Howard and Jake had really a, a terrific show, herd of cattle, and they had done well at some of the national shows. And, and you talked about Magnuson's. At that point, we even owned a cow from Magnuson's called Norvig Mistress Mirth that was a champion of a national show. And was actually reserve champion the first year at World Dairy Expo. So they were very committed to showing. They showed wherever it was, Chicago, Waterloo, Columbus, you know, and then the numerous other shows. So at that point, between Howard and Jake, they, they really had an outstanding show herd. In your estimation, was showing a means to market cattle? Or for your parents, was it more of a social event or one in the same? It's probably one in the same, but certainly first and foremost was the marketing aspect and being able to export cattle around the world like Howard and Jake did. And it's pretty amazing to try and think back of how hard it would be to ship cattle around the world like they do without the modern technology that we have today to do it with computers and cell phones and fax and <laughs> internet period you know just for them to work as hard as they did and, and certainly first and foremost they really took showing very seriously and really tried to get our genetics to other countries as, as much as they could it's pretty impressive and maybe just to add to it i think all four gentlemen that helped create world dairy expo that the commitment to the competition is one thing, but through that competition, it also created markets, whether it was domestic or international. And I think as you look at the principles of all four of those gentlemen, they were very market-oriented. And what makes it unique, and I think anybody that goes to a lot of shows, it, it's really almost like your second family. So you were, you were kind of asking two questions. It's a social event. It's a chance to see, you know, I would call it extended family, but, but the driver, it is the opportunity to showcase your herd to market, whether it, wherever it may be, domestic or international. If you could connect the dots for me too, you mentioned, Jimmy, that your dad was exporting cattle and your grandfather, Jake. How does that come about? Monticello, Wisconsin is in the center of the United States, pretty landlocked. And how did these international relationships develop? And then beyond that, how did you wind up shipping cattle from Wisconsin to other parts of the planet? That's a loaded question that both Brian and I would have to answer. You know, I always found it so interesting that, again, living in little Monticello in Greene County, Wisconsin, the world seemingly came to us. We were so fortunate to have so many foreign exchange students and programs that Grandpa Jake helped line up through the University of Hokkaido. But... I mean, how they got started with that's <laughs> Yeah, that, it's tough, Lisa, but it ultimately, we, the farm, has sent cattle to 25 to 30 different countries. And, you know, some of the stories, how they got started, you know, Howard was a quite outgoing guy. I mean, he had a great personality, and he was a little bit fearless in the fact that he would go somewhere and try to help create a market. And he was in Cuba the month before Castro came down the mountain, so one of the last shipments to Cuba. Still remember the story. They gave him a pistol to protect himself. As Howard said, uh, that was probably not the right thing because they had some rum, and they ended up doing a 
pistol drawing contest and he about shot off his foot so he gave him the <laughs> pistol back. So I guess Castro won that one, but <laughs> another country is the Dominican Republic, which we still have strong connections with, and, and actually right now we have cattle en route to it. But met a guy named Frank Brown. You know, they knew that they wanted cattle. They wanted to improve the genetics. Uh, the Dominican Republic just had gone through sort of a regime change there where they were trying to improve the genetics. And Howard eventually met a gentleman named Mr. Mejia, who was the Secretary of Agriculture at that time, and Howard helped bring numerous cattle. He actually helped restock the country with hogs and, and several other things, goats. And uh, later on, that uh, Mejia became president of the country. So it was always kind of a unique trip. When we'd go down to the Dominican Republic, we would go have dinner with the president of the country, and you come back to Monticello, and I didn't even know the mayor of Monticello with a thousand people. So, do they have a mayor? I believe they do. <laughs> so anyway, just those are just a couple stories. Your dad was also quite the, the daredevil, if you will. You described an episode where there was a shipment going to the Dominican, and the flight didn't go quite as planned. He was on a flight, and of course they used all those old prop planes that were old. On one of the flights down there, they had hit some fog and rough weather, and they were losing altitude. They couldn't find the country. Now, this was years ago. And the pilot told them that he didn't think they were going to make it there, and they had actually opened the doors. They were virtually minutes away from pushing cattle out so the plane could make it. Thank God the fog bank cleared. They found the airport. They landed safely. You know, kind of a unique story. Every shipment that we always remember that Howard did, you know, one of the tributes, when every load of cattle left, the truck drivers would always have to honk their horn and we'd sit outside and, and salute the next load that left. And ironically, last Friday, again, we just shipped a load of cattle to the Dominican Republic. And what's, what's pretty unique about that is I had to record that ceremony to Howard for those same people in the Dominican Republic because they know that is a tradition and it's a salute to Howard. So it's kind of a touching tribute, but they actually requested that. So I mean, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that uh, the uniqueness of some of the, the clients we have, I guess. I had a touch on the flight there where they were going to try and push a cow, you know, out the door. I mean, we can't even get them into a, a milking parlor. I would have loved to see them try. <laughs> I don't know. They, they were screwed if they didn't find the country. <laughs> That's all there is to it. They were going down. Anyway, sorry. Continue. He had a lot of intestinal fortitude. There was no giving up in Howard Bagley. And you mentioned, too, that he was really gregarious. He loved people. And I got to think that that might have been what attracted your mom's attention back in the day. Tell us about how your dad met his life partner, your mom, Alice Bagley. Alice, the, the, really the backbone of the whole everything here <laughs> to this day, you know. It's amazing how sometimes that gets forgotten, but it doesn't in our eyes anyway. Mom is just an incredible person. I couldn't tell you how many meals she cooked in that house and how much laundry she did over the years for, again, us and the foreign exchange students. But the way they met was is a, a really cool, I mean, it brings a tear to your eye. We were just reminiscing with her on Sunday about it again. They, you know, Howard was in a polka band. He played trumpet, and uh, he had seen this beautiful woman walk in one night, and during the set break, he went out to try and find her, and she had left for the evening, and he went to the, the band leader and said, next time that woman 
comes to a dance, I'm going to put my trumpet down and I'm going to go dance with her. And, and the band leader said, that's fine, but if you don't play, you don't get paid. And he said, okay. And flash ahead a couple of weeks and future mom shows up and, and he puts a trumpet down, dances with her, and they uh, grab a drink somewhere afterwards. And he drives her back to the farm where she lived in Blanchardville to give her a ride home and he didn't have enough gas to get back. So they had to wake up my future uncle out of bed to come and steal some of the farm gas to put it in his car to get home. And he didn't have any money to pay. And he said, you know, I'll be back. I'm going to Cuba, I think, next week. And when you come back, I'll pay you. <laughs> and he drove off. And my future uncle said to future mom that you'll never see him or that money ever again. <laughs> when she talks about that, she gets this tear in her eye. It's just there's it's such a great story and you know just what a what a legacy they they both built it's so cool the dna that they imparted to all of you your sisters and you you got the dairy gene but i have to say jimmy you got um, the best of both worlds did your mom ever sing with your dad's band because i know she and her family have vocal cords yeah their voices are like songbirds it's amazing i don't think that they ever I don't recall ever hearing any stories where they did anything together, but Howard has written songs, and, and Alice made a record I, in my studio. I have uh, Mom's Mom has an album that they did like 30, 30 years ago. Together, Howard and Alice, you know, they would... I mean, what was so cool is like Christmases and birthdays and whatever, we would be singing all the time, and there would be three- and four-part harmony on both sides of the family. It was really cool to have that, that musical touch and always music happening in the house. It was great. As proud as your dad is that Christopher and his family are adding that seventh generation to Vagley Farms, they have to be really proud too of, of you, Jimmy, going from an F in high school band to winning a Grammy. Let's talk about that for just a second. Yeah, well, we were nominated for a Grammy. It would be great to get one, but oh my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty wild, you know, just uh, I was, you know, I guess you'd be call it I was a snot in high school or whatever and didn't do my my work and and the teacher you know deservedly flunked me i remember howard called him up i was sitting right beside howard and he called the teacher he said what in god's name do you have to do to flunk band you know right to the teacher <laughs> and, the, and my course the teacher he he just laid it right out and howard looked at me and said you know this is your fault he just there was nobody else to blame but myself and and the teacher took me under his wing and helped me learn some chords on the piano, along with Alice too. Mike Korth helped, you know, helped me learn some other like bass and drums. And uh, today he's still one of my best friends, and I have him on that first album. And it's really cool. It, what was a really cool story is Howard and Alice came to a big festival in northern Wisconsin with my aunts and uncles, and they came and saw us play. And I was with a band, rousing set and we get down and we're signing autographs and they just they waited patiently and each aunt and uncle came up and said oh that was so great that was so great and mom gave a hug oh that was wonderful and dad came up and he just goes I'm so proud and just walked away it's like okay he told me the next day that was um when I became a musician first and a farmer second so that was cool. A lot of talents wrapped up in, in one body and it was passed along to the next generation and thereafter too. I can remember you sitting in the spotlight at the Grand Piano at World Dairy Expo at the Supreme Champion Ceremony. What a beautiful tribute to your dad. You played the song that you had arranged, Papa's Waltz. And for anybody listening, look up the Jimmies, buy a CD. Papa's Waltz is a really special piece of music as is the rest that the Jimmies have created. And again, 
a legacy that Howard has passed along. Who knew that his trumpet playing in that polka band would be transmitted to his youngest son, who also played the trumpet? Vaguely Farms, if people listening have been to the farm, it's, it's only, what, 35, 40 minutes from the World Dairy Expo grounds to your farm in Monticello. The signature white fence up the driveway. I always admired how neat and tidy the farm always was. And we talk about your mom again. I know your mom had a hand in that, but there was probably always somebody cracking the whip, either your mom or your dad, to take care of the animals, take care of the farmstead, take care of each other. And let's talk a little bit about your sisters. You have several sisters too that are part of Vagley's legacy. Yeah, we would be in trouble if they weren't mentioned for sure. They're our older sisters. <laughs> they, uh, they were in charge too and, and still come back and help out and everything. They were they were vital to it, uh, to the success of the farm too. And or it's it's still great to have them around. And, and speaking about cracking the whip, yeah, they come back, this needs to be done, this, you know, and they're right, you know, that Grandpa Jake was a real driver and Howard too to keep everything clean. Alice, of course, being the one most in charge and and they've taken on that care and, and pride that, that we all have for the farm to this day. And yeah, Ron yeah. and Jackie are great. Yeah, and I, I would also add to that, I mean, besides them, you know, again, we had 70 or 80 trainees 27 Japanese brothers. You know, we had people from, I don't know, at least 15 countries. And uniquely, Lisa, they actually, we even call them brothers and sisters. And that's what made Alice so unique. You know, she was a mother to many. She fed many. You know, she did the book work. She was so active. And we asked her the other day, you know, how did you do that? And she goes, I guess I just had a lot of energy. And... <laughs> Thank God she did, because uh, with just with her own family, with the extended family, with all the help that she gave Howard, with the book work, with the payroll, with everything else, she was she was amazing. One of the greatest things Howard always said about her too: she would come and do calf chores, do the books, clean, cook for everybody, and then if they'd go out, she would be the prettiest girl at the ball. Yet on top of it, you know, he said it was she was just everything. So he adored her, and and vice versa. They were they were quite the power couple. Their relationship building was their forte. Like you say, your mom rolled out the red carpet and provided hospitality to anyone that crossed the threshold at your home. And your dad, too. My goodness, you're rubbing shoulders with the president of the Dominican Republic when you go there. Your dad was really instrumental, too. When we go back to building World Dairy Expo. I think that his relationship building ability is one thing that really propelled things forward because your dad was well acquainted with the people at the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture. And I'm guessing that came about through his export activities. But again, he just honestly, he met people, networked with people and working with other people accomplished amazing things. So how did your dad build those relationships and how did they serve getting Expo off the ground? You know, again, I'm not exactly sure how he knew some of these people but you know ironically I, I have a copy of some of his letters that he wrote to uh, Don McDowell who was Secretary of Agriculture of Wisconsin at that time and that was his contact and he used that contact to help get the state of Wisconsin on board to bring World Dairy Expo here and he also got some money through this uh, you know with Governor Knowles and all that but what what was interesting and in some of his communications, 
Once Alan Hatz told everybody that, uh, you know, the show was going to be discontinued because of the horse show or beef show or whatever was happening there, you know, the Align Energy Center as we know it today was just more or less in its infancy. The uh, Coliseum was being built. There was just a few buildings. And the way I read through his uh, communication with uh, Mr. Don McDowell was they wanted to wait a year until all the facilities were done which in some sense, it, it does make some sense. But Howard's uh, communication to him, he was concerned if these gentlemen didn't get World Dairy Expo started that year. The other places like uh, Louisville, some of the other shows where all these cattle shows were happening, they were going to try to take that show away and bring them to them. And in this letter, Howard said that we can't afford to wait. He said that we have to go ahead, get people there, get the show this year. If you get the show, you'll get the cattle. And if you get the cattle, the show will, will live on. And so I think it was through maybe some of his nudging that they went ahead, maybe a little bit premature as far as facilities go. But had they waited, we, we'll never know what World Dairy Expo would have looked like. Could we? They were worried that if you don't bring them there now, they, they may not come later. Sense of urgency for sure. Yeah. 1,200 head approximately came to that first World Dairy Expo in 1967. And I think your dad would be thrilled to see or know that last year, 2,600, actually 2,663 animals graced the colored shavings at Madison, Wisconsin. So the show took on a life of its own. They had a solid business plan and got this show off the ground. Brian, I've got to ask, your dad, outgoing, definitely a servant leader at heart. Um, he passed those genes on to you. And I think it's tremendous that you continue to serve as a board member of World Dairy Expo and member of our Dairy Cattle Show Committee. So Brian, maybe could you talk about how you've seen the show evolve over the years? And again, I think one thing Howard taught us all is that at some point in life, you all have to serve and whether whatever your passion is, you know, people have to help. And and I think that's a tribute to what World Dairy Expo is. World Dairy Expo is a show driven by hundreds of volunteers, you know, 400 plus, plus an amazing staff. And, and I think that's what sets World Dairy Expo apart from all the other shows is the fact that people are willing to contribute. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be placed on a few committees and the experience that I've learned from the Dairy Cattle Committee, I get to work with some of the industry leaders like Tom Morris, who once again is being honored this year. Dave Bollig, that is probably one of the best superintendents, you know, the great staff, the, the hundreds of volunteers. But to get 2,600 plus animals there, the uh, World Dairy Expo invested in those new pavilions of several million dollars. We helped with the, the exhibition hall several years ago. So we... We continue to make an investment in the infrastructure of World Dairy Expo that helps us expand and, and again, helps us keep our home at, at the Align Energy Center in Madison. It's amazing when you realize that, uh, at least at one time, was it not like the 30th largest trade show in the United States? And over time, uh, we've had as many as visitors from a hundred different countries. I, I mean... I don't care how amazing those gentlemen are, but to, to note that uh, the foundation that they set forward, that we have something that rock solid to look at, uh, 
it's you know the foundation was amazing great leadership since that time you know and, and again we have such a wonderful staff at World Dairy Expo I, I you know we're going to continue to be you know grow and and uh, do what's necessary. Your dad built things that endure. World Dairy Expo certainly is enduring. It's flourishing. And it's in part to all of those those people that you just made mention of, Brian, that, that keeps the ball rolling. But he also built an enduring legacy at Vagley Farms in Monticello. So could you talk a little bit about what current day Vagley Farms looks like? Back in 1854, we started out as a 320 acre farm. Again, we milk the Holstein cattle in 1895 is uh, we started with Swiss and for the last whatever number of years that is we've had Swiss a few years ago we uh, we have transitioned from a uh, milking parlor we've, we've gone to uh, robots we've expanded to uh, we now own a thousand acres and we crop about 1300 acres of crops again like I say we put in robots so we've We've kind of transitioned. We we bucked the trend where everybody else is growing on the cattle side. We decided that this was correct for the succession plan for Christopher and his wife to take over because they wanted to have a family and have time for it. So Jimmy and I, Christopher, family members all got together and we decided that our next move was was to try something radical and, and we downsized and went to robots. So we're 10 months into it and, and it's an interesting move so far. Your dad probably had a philosophy, let's keep doing it as long as it's fun. Fun seemed to be a really important factor for your dad. And again, building those relationships that lead to the next thing. Not only are you managing the 1,300 acres, and is it 300 cows you're putting through the robots right now? No, we downsized. We're only milking about 140. So we had to downsize. But uh, again, that's what we deem necessary to keep cattle here in another generation. It's funny because, you know, we often talk, you talk about Howard and, and, and kind of the, this, the guts that he always had, the innovation that he was, always, he was always an innovator, always trying to think ahead and think differently. And every time we make an improvement on the farm, we always ask each other, you know, what do you think Jake would say? What do you think Howard would say? And there's never a doubt that every time we make some kind of a, a crazy change, like, you know, even taking the old milk barn years ago, Taking out all the stanchions, turning it into a parlor, you know, what do you think Howard would say? Ah, he'd be into it. It's all, you know, it's just go for it, you know. And now we have, uh, we put in the robots, what do you think Howard would say? And it's like, this is exactly, you know, the kind of thing that he was always, had his eye on, you know, is always looking to the future and trying to find ways to make life better for yourselves and yet keep the quality of for the animals and I, this all this is just right up Howard's alley you know and so this to make this change it was we didn't have to worry about you know what perhaps would be the perception of our ancestors to making such crazy changes it's it was it's exactly what they were always looking to do as well so that that's fun to look back always innovating. You continue in that vein as well, too. Your milk goes two different directions. Tell us about that a little bit. We ship to a plant called Chalet Cheese, which is, has won some awards from the World Competition for Best Swiss and Baby Swiss. We're also the only Limburger cheese plant in the United States. So mm -hmm. 
You know, if you like eating socks, it's a wonderful cheese. <laughs> and then we also have some milk that goes to yogurt. It's called Yodelay yogurt. And that actually in the world competition was best in class for best drinkable and best low-fat yogurt. So it's nice that we get to work with some talented people. So that part's good. You know, we still I kind of would like to bring in a little bit, you know, back to Howard's creativity, talking about embryos. One thing Howard always did, again, was looking outside the box. We still market some embryos overseas. And there was a young man named Dr. Bob Rowe that was our veterinarian several years ago. And, and as the embryo transfer business was starting to pick up and they were starting to learn more about how to do it, Howard was creative enough that in the 70s, he had such a vision that we were sending live embryos overseas with not much success, but he had the vision that we would flush cows early in the morning, we would stimulate the cows overseas, so it, it took quite a quite a bit of planning with Doc Rowe and the, the people overseas in Dominica, Mexico, wherever these eggs were going. And we would fly Bob Rowe with the embryos either in pocket or hand. I mean, that's that's how new the technology was. He was taking fresh embryos. We'd stick them on an airplane at uh, 6 in the morning. He would fly to that country. They would pick them up, take them to the pastures at night, and he would put the embryos in. And You know, I mean, obviously things have come a long ways, but again... Howard was creative enough to know that this may be the new opportunity to market genetics. That was that was in the 70s before freezing was viable and things like that. So they, they had to buy a they had to buy a ticket for him to put the eggs in the seat beside him yeah. one or two times. You know, I mean, imagine how long that is. Yeah, we can't even wear shoes on a plane here. He's bringing the embryos and. Just Putting them on a seat, you know, it's just uh, that stories and the, again, the innovation and the drive that it took to do that. It's just unfathomable that to a day like today. The let's figure it out, let's get it done attitude is what is the lasting legacy of Howard Vagley. And I would also add that bring the fun, bring the people together. That is something I think that is a great legacy. Your dad grew up with music in his bones and he shared that with everybody that he met and Again, your whole family grew up with that whole attitude of hospitality and, and let's bring people together. And I have to believe that World Dairy Expo is doing just that all these years later. We're bringing people together. There's music, there's fraternity, there's great, great dairy cattle. World Dairy Expo is fulfilling all of the goals that your dad and, and the three other gentlemen we made mention of at the onset of this podcast saw fit to do. World Dairy Expo celebrates the dairy industry, but more so celebrates the people engaged in it. So I guess I'd ask Jimmy and Brian, you've been exhibiting at World Dairy Expo since the, the beginning of, of the shows here in Madison, Wisconsin. And Brian, you participated in the signing of a new five-year contract to push the, the event out five more years. We've agreed to meet in Madison, Wisconsin. It's exciting times. We know that there's a future for World Dairy Expo. And I guess in closing, I'd like to ask you, what are your top reasons for encouraging someone to make the trip to Madison? You do it every year. Why is that? It's a showcase of the world's best genetics. It's a showcase of a world-class trade show. It's a showcase of education, technology on display. It's an opportunity to market your genetics. It's an opportunity to meet industry leaders. We have great facilities there. It's sort of a blessing that we made these new 
pavilions a few years ago and last year we had to add on tent space because this is where people know that they can come and market cattle, meet people, showcase everything. So the reason we go there, if, if there's one show during the year that you need to attend, this is it. This is where the people are coming. This is where you're going to make your best contacts. This is where you're going to make your best thing for your buck. The show has such camaraderie. It is a complete homecoming uh, every year of friends and family that you've met only uniquely through the dairy industry. And it's it's a world of its own, World Dairy Expo, and there's nothing like it. And to come every year just to see not only the cattle, but the people and the relationships, That's to me, that's the most special thing. It's just amazing. It's like you, it's like you just last talked to your friends a, a, a week ago, but it's been a year. You know, and you come back to Expo and you just pick up where you left off, and it's it's incredibly unique. I mean, you said it earlier. Your dad brought the, the world to Monticello, Wisconsin. Well, not just that. Our Expo forefathers brought the world to Madison, Wisconsin, and it's been celebrated each and every year. So, Jimmy and Brian, thank you so much for sharing some insight about your dad, about the legacy, the dynasty that he's built. We appreciate your joining us here today on The Dairy Show. Thanks for having us. Very much appreciated. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for celebrating those four great gentlemen. Indeed. My pleasure. As World Dairy Expo draws near, we invite you to visit www.worlddairyexpo.com to complete entries or plan your trip. We have 650 exhibitors that will be showcasing all that is new and needed to manage dairy cattle. And you can explore the many learning sessions and opportunities that are scheduled for the week. And please note the new dairy cattle show schedule and youth contest schedules. We encourage you to order your e-tickets today, and we'll see you in Madison, Wisconsin, October 1st through 6th. Thank you for joining us for The Dairy Show. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.